on Acast and wherever you get your podcasts. This is Rebalance with Kamal Santamaria. Kia ora everyone, welcome back to Rebalance. I'm Kamal Santamaria. It has been a busy old month since we last spoke as the balance has been finding its feet. And for this podcast, I really was looking for the right topic to present itself. And then lo and behold, around a week ago, it did. When the story of the unnamed BBC presenter first surfaced. Now, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Ashley Frawley a little bit later. She's an associate professor of sociology and has got some really good insight and context into this story. Because, as I always say, context matters. Um, But first, if you somehow miss the story, let's start with a bit of a pricey. The British tabloid newspaper The Sun published a story claiming that a high-profile presenter from the BBC had paid a young person thousands of pounds over a three-year period in exchange for sexually explicit pictures. That is where all of this started. And as you can imagine, the media, both mainstream and social, went into absolute meltdown over this story. And you had this almost... Well, it wasn't almost, it was a farcical situation of BBC News trying to report the story in an independent manner about this unidentified BBC presenter, whilst the name of said presenter was circulating widely on social media already, and in all likelihood, everyone in the newsroom probably knew who it was anyway. But this story was about so much more than the presenter's identity and what they were accused of. It was about how it was reported, who reported it, who made the accusations, what was known, when, and crucially, if anything criminal had actually happened. So, bit by bit, let's break it down. First of all, if you didn't know, the presenter was eventually revealed to be Hugh Edwards, top newsreader at the BBC. His wife put out a statement on his behalf saying he was suffering from serious mental health issues and is now receiving inpatient hospital care where he will stay for the foreseeable future. She also said once he was well enough, he intends to respond to the stories that have been published. Now, a lot of people said, well, there's no denial in that statement. And that's true. So we do have to wait to hear what Edwards himself has to say. But as I've said before on this podcast, don't assume that a lack of a denial or a lack of a public defense automatically means an admission of guilt. I am reminded of something which a former U.S. State Department spokesman once said. His name's Matt Miller. And and when I heard this quite a few months ago, I wrote it down because I thought this will be perfect at some point. He said, quote, oftentimes when you're doing something from the outside that doesn't appear to make sense, it's not because you don't know what you're doing. It's because you face some choices people don't understand. So just always, I think, keep that in the back of your mind. Anyway, up until the point of that statement, the speculation about who this presenter was and what the BBC knew and what The Sun knew, it was rife. And it was all based on very, very little information. Let's go step by step. The allegations in The Sun were made by the mother and stepfather of the alleged victim. They say it started when their child was 17, 
the child is now 20, and that it fueled a crack cocaine habit. Now, just quickly here, the, the word used to describe the victim is interesting. I've said child there because it is obviously their child. Uh, we don't know if it's a male or female. Youth and young person were often terms used in this story as well. But I don't know, if we're talking about someone who's in their late teens and now uh, 20, we're probably really talking about someone who's a young adult here. Um, again, just the choice of words is always interesting. All right, so we've got that. We've got the fact that the son did not name the parents making the accusation, nor their child. Everyone remained anonymous, which means, and I know, of course, anonymous sources are a big part of journalism, but you shouldn't forget, it means there can be no scrutiny of them, or their claims, or their motivations, and ultimately, the veracity of the whole thing. The Sun also provided no proof or evidence of the claims that were being made. The Sun said, we've seen the evidence, but they didn't publish it. And the Sun was also apparently told by the alleged victim in a WhatsApp message before the article was published that the allegations were not true. But they published them anyway, and didn't mention that that denial had been made. And how do we know all of that? Well, because a lawyer representing the alleged victim sent a letter to BBC News after this all came out, saying, quote, For the avoidance of doubt, nothing inappropriate or unlawful has taken place between our client and the BBC personality, and the allegations reported in the Sun newspaper are rubbish, end quote. So, if you're still with me after all of this, we've got allegations from the parents, which are hearsay, and which their child, the alleged victim, says are not true. We have no evidence presented, and we have the reputation of multiple male BBC presenters being questioned because no one came out and named the accused presenter. As such, there were a lot of calls for the BBC to step up and name the presenter, to end the speculation, but it is not that simple. Here's Joshua Rosenberg. He's a legal commentator and solicitor, and actually... Interestingly, a former BBC legal correspondent speaking to Sky News. In these circumstances, this BBC presenter uh, is fully entitled to, uh, um, uh, to have his uh, uh, name kept out of the media. On the other hand, if the BBC chooses to name him at any point, or indeed the police were too, although that seems to be a long way off, uh, well then, of course, we could report it. Well, does the BBC um, ruin the reputation of this individual because to name him would be to ruin his uh, career prospects for the future? Does it do so on the say-so of this family at this stage or does it wait to establish the facts? So far it's saying we have a duty to uh, our employee to try and find out what's going on. And if this individual is on legal advice saying nothing to his employer at the moment, well, you can see why the BBC is being cautious. Now, obviously, that was all said before we had the identity of the presenter, as are all the uh, soundbites you're going to hear in this podcast. But I think this you know, Rosenberg's made a really good point here. These are allegations, and so the BBC has a duty of care to its employee as much as it has a duty to investigate the allegations. Innocent until proven guilty, due process, these are all things which matter. And... Though the police were looking into any potential criminality, and obviously that was very serious and very important in the early stages of this story, um, the police didn't find any criminality and have since said they're not pursuing any charges. 
So if the BBC wasn't going to name Edwards, then why didn't the Sun? If they were confident enough to go with a big, salacious front-page story which took over the media cycle for days, why were they not confident enough to name the accused or to show any proof of what he'd supposedly done? You have to question how strong was their story in the first place? Did they have the proof? Did they have the corroboration of it? Or did they publish purely on the existence of the allegations themselves? Speaking to GB News, Kelvin McKenzie, who's a former editor of The Sun, said it came down to pressure and money. As far as they're concerned, journalistically, they made a shocking error because they could have published a picture, which everybody in the world has seen online, and they could have published um, the, the, the person's name. This was on the Saturday. They chose not to do it. That's probably because of pressure legally that exists around News UK mm. with all the... The owners ha- of the sun. Yeah, the, 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 the money that's being spent through the High Court in hacking cases and other cases. And they also didn't want to get caught up in the fact that this... Was there a strange smell about this paper and therefore would advertisers walk away? See, there it is, advertisers. You can't risk their wrath because... They keep you afloat. They pay your salaries. Newspapers, as we knew them, are a dying breed. And so you don't bite the hand that feeds. It's a very strange world that these big, once powerful tabloids, once very uh, commercially successful, that's that's no longer the case, on the print side anyway. The online case, yes, it's still doing okay. But they are worried constantly, the management, what if we run this kind of story? Will will Unilever advertise with us? Will our media buyers, you know, will, I don't know, Vauxhall Cars advertise with us? Advertising is what matters, not what the reader thinks. So they worry more about the advertising than the reader. Then you get what happens. And remember, no mainstream media named Edwards at all. Pia Summer, who is the editorial legal director for Times Media in the UK, said... There is no absolute bar against naming someone who's being investigated. News providers are self-censoring. This mess shows that the judge-made laws are confusing and have chilled speech in the way that was feared. So I think what a lot of this comes down to is issues over privacy and defamation and what is in the public interest versus what is just interesting to the public. And so with that vacuum created by particularly The Sun and the BBC, social media steps in, of course, and starts driving the story. And that is a problem. Because on social media, it seems anyone can say anything and with very little consequence. I know this personally. People made unsubstantiated, sometimes defamatory statements about me based on anonymous allegations, based on hearsay, for everyone and anyone to see. And for the record, I am dealing with these through the proper channels. On the BBC's breakfast programme, the former chief prosecutor for the Crown Prosecution Service, Nazir Afzal, sounded a warning about such behaviour. I think the public um, have forgotten that posting things on social media is publishing something. Uh, I mean, I understand why they might want to do that, because it's uh, it's like a who allegedly done it, that they are... uh, concerned about or interested in. But when you publish things that are completely false about people who are uh, in the public eye or not, as the case may be, whose reputations, whose careers may be damaged, you know, if it goes on the internet, it stays there forever. So uh, people are, it's almost been a race uh, where they've been putting names out there, left, right and centre. 
and one or two of them, those individuals have contacted me and I've said, yeah, get lawyers involved because the reality is that you, you, know, you shouldn't be doing that and there's a terrible cost if you do, you'll be bankrupted. There are many examples of people who've been bankrupted when they have defamed somebody in this way. And the mainstream media is complicit in this. They are using that freedom which people have to say what they want on social media to stand up their own stories. And that's not me saying that. Here's Kelvin McKenzie again, former editor of The Sun. So in the old days, when we used to sell four or five million a day, Mm -hmm. then we used to go all in and also pay for it when we got that wrong. Okay. now what happens is that most stories are half pregnant. You know, Mm. it's almost there. And they put the story in there, hoping that social media run with it. And then what happens is then they can get behind it and then they can say, oh, I read this on social media. I saw it on Instagram or something. That is the way it's now performed. And finally, what people don't think about when they post this stuff to social media or write it in their newspapers or on their websites is the effect it has on the people involved. I spoke in episode one of this podcast about what the constant media attention has done to me and my family. And I can see it happening all over again here with Hugh Edwards. I think it's been good to see that some of his colleagues, past and present, uh, have spoken in support of him. They haven't necessarily defended him because I think they, like the rest of us, don't know all the details. But they've shown some support. And I'll tell you, in these situations... You can be lucky to even get a text from people who you've known and called friends for decades. I won't say much more about it here because I want to get to our feature interview, but I would encourage you to read a blog post which I wrote on my personal website, kamalsantamaria.com. It's called Deja Vu All Over Again, and it is there to serve as a reminder to people before they post their next tweet. There is a link to it in the show notes for this podcast. The Balance, journalism without agenda. Okay, so now that we've kind of laid out all the the situation and and what we know, I want to broaden things out a bit. And really, more than just the media and the legal angles, because I think they've kind of been done to death over the past week, but let's look at behaviour in general. And that means the behaviour of everyone involved. The accused, yes, but also the accusers, the public, the media... And just take a step back from all the outrage to put things in a bit of context. And to do that, I spoke to Dr. Ashley Frawley, Associate Professor of Sociology at Swansea University in the UK. Ashley Frawley, welcome to Rebalance. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. So uh, we're talking on Friday the 14th of July, the morning your time, where things have settled a bit, I think. I mean, I just looked at the front page of the Times and there's other news on the front page, God forbid. Um, look, I know we all love celebrity news, but I mean, this story just went went mad, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it has a little bit of everything. Um, It's um, a high profile figure. There was some anonymity. So people, it invited people to question. So Mm -hmm. if you look at at the sort of academic literature on how something, you know, gets onto the public agenda or on the internet, how something goes viral, 
participation is key. <laughs> if it feels that it, it, you know, if you can connect with people individually, you know, headlines with you in the title um, mm. and uh, on the internet, um, things that invite people to participate. And so everyone was sort of, you know, quest asking, you know, who is it? Am I the only one who doesn't know who it is? And so mm. that element of mystery almost made it worse for the individual involved because it invited an enormous amount of speculation and added quite a lot of interest to the story as more and more, you know, presenters weighed in and and said no it wasn't them and it was right. a sort of terrible game of guess who and then i would say on top of that did it become even bigger because it involved um the bbc uh an institution which everyone loves to complain about but they still wouldn't be without um <laughs> and the sun an institution which uh polarizes and divides like few other uh, media outlets certainly in the uk yeah, so there was a mix of that. There was this, um, on the one hand, this demand that the BBC has presenters that are sort of paragons of virtue, you know, so mm. that it's supposed to be this uh, virtuous institution that represents, you know, the good underlying values of our good, you know, the best that is our society. And so part of it was this kind of morality play of this individual. On the one hand, obviously, there was a question initially about whether or not something illegal had happened. Hmm. So there was that. But as it, even as it became clear and clear that that was not the case, it was more about this, uh, about con condemnation uh, and the need to kind of set an example, which I found to be really distasteful and quite silly because I'm quite sure that most people can tell that giving money to a crack-addicted young person is not a good idea. And we don't really need someone to be sort of trotted out and tied to a tree and flat public publicly flagellated lest we silly medieval peasants get the wrong idea <laughs> but then on the other hand the sun um you know is also a a um somewhere that you know to which a lot of ire gets directed that mm -hmm. they're symbolic of all the worst things in british society and so there was this kind of a, a side to it the response to the story that was a bit sneering as well and this desire to kind of condemn the sun for past instances of of um you know, uh, transgressions that they had made and, and this um, um, uh, like double standards that they were not holding themselves to the same kinds of standards that they were holding this this presenter to. Um, but, you know, it, the, I think the, part of that was wrong, too, because it was sort of saying like, oh, well, you know, uh, they shouldn't be reporting on this. Um, yeah. But it was, it was in the public interest, you know, I'm, 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 well, saying that, I'm not saying that people shouldn't have reported on it. Hmm. It was, you know, it was an interesting story and it was a scandal and so on. The thing See, that you I say, I you say public interest, interest. sorry, mm -hmm. I'm going to interrupt you really quickly. Yeah. You say, I reckon there's this difference between public interest and, oh, hang on. How do I phrase it? Is it, is it in the public interest or is the public just interested? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Do you, it doesn't I mean, matter. If the public is interested, then it gets reported. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or or even if there is a perception that the public would be interested, because obviously mm. it's not like people democratically decide what goes into the yeah. newspapers. It's an editorial process that's involved. But I mean, if the editors judge that it's, you know, probably going to be something that will get people's attention, then they will mm. they will report it. And that's mm. that's fine. I'm not, but what I'm saying is what I didn't like was the the sort of morality play around it. That was a bit silly, right? So, so it became like, oh, well, they shouldn't report this. And it became sort of a, a little bit about press freedom and all of this mm. sort of thing, about whether or not the person's name should, you know, what details should have been published. Mm. I, I, I think that's, you know, that's fair enough, this idea that, uh, 
um, that it, you know, that it became a question of press freedom. But for me, I just thought it was so silly to pretend like the reason people were interested in this was because of the morals involved and the vulnerable individual and so on. No, it was gossip. And we really okay. like gossip. <laughs> so, so this is the thing. And, and the phrase you used before was um, about TV people being held up as some sort of paragon of virtue. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and look, this is you know something which I have experienced and I, I freely say. In the end, uh, we or the public, they love a takedown, don't they? They love to see someone's fall from grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I did a segment on Times Radio Breakfast where um, the other guest that was on with me said, Hmm. oh, you know, this other presenter came on and denounced him. And I bet you he's looking for that guy's job. You know, he he senses that a space might be opening up. And I really do think that that is a part of it. You see this a lot with, um, I mean, I know this isn't cancel culture, but you see this with cancel culture as a kind of related issue where there's these sort of public pylons. And, And a lot of the pylons are in areas where, you have like an overproduction of people. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of people are clamoring for those positions and they're like, that should be me. Shouldn't be you. Look at Mm -hmm. you. You don't deserve it. Right. And so they, they, yeah, we love to see the mighty fall. Definitely. But we, let me tell you, TVs, TVs are nasty business sometimes. Let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah. And this happens in comedy as well. I've seen this, you know, I interviewed on my own podcast based AF, (laughs) such a silly name for a podcast, but I didn't come (laughs) up with it. The fans did. No, um, of course. (laughs) <laughs> on my uh, my podcast, I interviewed Simon Evans, who's a, um, a TV presenter and, and comedian. And, mm. and he's talked about how it's comedy is such a, a competitive atmosphere that mm. sort of uh, there's almost this c- competitive denunciation that goes on where, you know, it's like if we could just get this person out of the way, then there'd be a space for me, you know. Um, and, and this is kind of what people are doing. And I've seen this even in academia. You know, I'm an associate professor of, you know, what Americans would call uh, tenured. Uh, And these are very difficult uh, positions to come by. And, you know, Mm. if I say if I kind of have some opinion online, people will denounce me like, oh, this is an associate professor. Yes. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I can have opinions and I'm not going to follow a line because we have academic freedom. And, yeah. and that's actually a really important part of society that the university doesn't have a line that we're all supposed to follow. But I've actually been mm. criticized even by colleagues mm. that uh, that we, as a university, we should take a line or something like that, which is just absolutely contra everything in a free society. But, anyways, mm. but these are coveted kinds of positions. Right. And I remember when I was a Ph.D. student, young, snotty nosed kid and uh, thinking I remember I went to uh, Noam Chomsky. I went to see him speak. You know, I don't necessarily agree with everything that Chomsky says, but, you know, having matured a bit, I recognize that he's contributed quite a lot. Yeah, to and and, and there's nothing wrong with listening to all opinions. We, yeah, you know. and I remember that I they gave everyone gave him a standing ovation and I didn't. Like, mm. what a dumb, you know, what a stupid thing. But, you know, it was like, I'm going to be better than that. I would have been better than that. You know, no, I would not have been. But this is the kind of thing where I knew that it was going to be really difficult to get mm. to that kind of position. I think there was a sort of latent jealousy. Yeah. And I think underneath a lot of our desire to see the mighty fall is this latent mm. jealousy. I should be there. I would be there if not for you. I think this kind of, not conscious, but deep down below is mm. like, my life sucks. And it would make it just a little bit better to see that your life, which is so great, 
suck just a little more. So, so you said before that you said, I know this isn't cancel culture, isn't it? I mean, what you've just described kind of sounds like that. And now with the further stuff coming out, um, again, type of uh, allegations that I'm very familiar with, inappropriate behavior, putting a kiss at the end of a, of a message and, and calling that an abuse of power. I mean, it just feels like it's taking on a sort of life of its own and going, dare I say, a bit too far. Yeah, I, I suppose I said it's not exactly cancel culture because when the story first broke, uh, it mm. appeared as though something illegal had happened. Right, okay. So there was a lack of clarity there. And mm. it, it wasn't quite clear kind of exactly what had happened or if it was still going on or, or you know, what is yeah. it? You know, is this person a teenager literally at this moment, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. So it was, there was a lot of lack of clarity around that. But I think, yes, it has now sort of evolved into this kind of situation of, of a, a bit of a free for all where, you know, you're invited to sort of go back and reinterpret your experiences with this person through an entirely hmm. new light, which is very scary, I think. Um, I, you know, I made the argument in that uh, the other day on, on Times Radio that, you know, you need to be free to be a jerk. <laughs> Like, I would hope that people are not jerks, but you do need to have that freedom in society. I think you create a much worse society in which, you know, you expect utter virtue from everyone, which is not possible. Like, nobody is 100% good. Everybody has a bad day. Everybody slips up. Everybody misjudges a social situation and says the wrong thing and so on. Uh, and I don't really want to live in a world in which we risk being publicly denounced particularly for young people like coming up online there's no forgiveness mm. one mistake and you ruin your life what kind of world are we really creating here and we we think we're doing it all or we tell ourselves we're all we're doing it for accountability we're not mm. doing it for accountability this is carnival that's mm. what this is it's watching the the high pretend that they're low and the low pretend that they're high and we all get to pretend we have power for a day and that's it let's get back to i guess the more acute situation. Um, well, look, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we still don't know the full story and no one, I believe, can make any full judgment until we do. Um, part of the outrage, and we talked about this before when you talked about, you know, loving to watch a celebrity fall, um, is this idea of, well, the BBC is taxpayer funded. Uh, this is what, quote unquote, our money is being spent on. And isn't it outrageous? Um, doesn't that mean that anyone who gets paid by the government or by taxpayer money is fair game now? I mean, politicians, sure. <laughs> um, but civil servants, anyone who gets in, in, in and, and we're talking about the people who aren't the public facing ones, who are the, I shouldn't say this, but faceless people behind the scenes, they're getting paid by the government. You know, we, we wouldn't care if we heard about their misdeeds. It it just doesn't it doesn't seem right. I think part part of it is this tendency to turn these public institutions into like hallowed institutions. So mm. you saw this with um, the whole vaccine mandate scandal in the UK, where there were discussions of firing tens of thousands of nurses. You know, during when you have a shortage of medical staff, mm -hmm. you have there's you had like they had the government had like two years to sort the situation out and they clearly didn't want to um because uh, they actually reduced the number of beds and this is a long-term trend uh, going across a lot of different countries they weren't about to reverse that trend anytime mm. soon it's sort of this sort of just-in-time production in healthcare. um then we're going to reverse that but even the idea that during a, a public health crisis you would fire a ton of workers 
for not getting a vaccine that mm -hmm. at that time they knew was not a sterilizing vaccine that it you know it might lower uh, um for a certain period of time it might lower um how much you pass things on um but it wasn't uh it, it wasn't like you know um a vaccine like the measles vaccine or something like that anyways but i, I made the point at the time that it was about saying these people don't fit the values of our hallowed NHS and how mm. dare they be paid by it. I think that's what it was. So let's make an example of them. Let's make an example of them that they, they do not suit our values and like calling them anti-vaxxers and all of this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. When just because you <laughs> might refuse this particular vaccine, you know, whatever, you know, I, I think vaccines are the greatest thing that humans have come up with. They're the reason why like we live so long and we've, done away with mm. child, a lot, uh, at least in developed countries, a good portion of child and infant mortality. They're great. But the idea that you would have a, like questions about a new vaccine, a technology that, you know, wasn't, people weren't really sure about. Okay. I, I thought the vaccine was great, but I understand why people had questions, but to call these people anti-vaxxers to like lump mm -hmm. them in with like moms who were not, you know, uh, vaccinating their kids for measles and using essential oils and all of that stuff, that kind of like stereotype of anti-vaxxer was, was quite ludicrous, but it really showed that it was about the underlying values, that these right. people and, are sort of persona non grata. Right. So they had to be shown up. There's, it's, yeah. um, what's the phrase, um, being, you know, not just doing the right thing, but being seen to be doing the right thing. Yeah. They had to be made an example of. Mm hmm. Okay, final thought then. Um, and <laughs> gosh, I could probably sit and talk to you about vaccines for another half hour or so. But <laughs> look, it, it, lessons in all of this um, for anyone watching, be they male, female, public facing, taxpayer paid, private, what, whatever. Basically, anyone who has a job and goes into an office, is this a lesson in being? way more careful and being really judicious about everything you do and 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 about basically saying work is for work work is where i do my job and i go home and that means losing the social aspect of it losing the bonding aspects of it which come from working in a team or working in an office um because you don't want there to be any room for any misrepresentation or you know, I mean, we're now seeing this this phrase "abuse of power" used, or a perceived abuse of power. Is it is this a lesson out of all of this? <laughs> well, the thing about abuse of power, like if you are a successful person and you're famous, you're on TV, or even you're just a successful person, that's part mm. of who you are. It's not really inseparable. It's not really separable from your personality. So to say, like, oh, it's an abuse of power to like get sexual partners, like, okay, well. For all celebrities who marry other celebrities are abusing their power or mm. and, and and people actually make this argument too around like or who who all celebrities who marry anybody are abusing their power because what is their cachet it's because they're famous they're fame. that's just it. it is not mm. like it is you cannot separate these things can we please have a little bit of perspective here mm. that people are adults and are capable of making judgments okay we are capable of making judgments about like, I am impressed by this person. Yes, I recognize that part of the reason I'm attracted to this person is that I am impressed by their success. They have money. They can help me get the things that I want. Okay? If I'm like, I, I, I've never dated a rich person, but I can quite imagine <laughs> that that would be part of the appeal. Let's be real. Okay? Let's not all, we're all pretending. We like to, we play this game 
where we pretend the people who are famous are like our parents and we pretend that we're children and we demand they be role models for us. Mm. That is such nonsense. That is, uh, that it, it is not a real thing that anybody actually believes. It's just that we like, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of jealousy there. Like we, we like to sort of see, uh, get a hit on somebody who seems untouchable. We like to, we are powerless. We like to feel powerful for a day, right? This uh, cancel culture, I wrote an article about this in Sublation Magazine, the carnival of cancel culture. Cancel culture is a carnival. It's, you know, the carnivals are erupt enormously in countries where there's a huge drift between the very high and the very low. Mm -hmm. You have um, a lot of social inequality. You have bigger carnivals. Why? Because it, it, underpins it, it cleanses that social order for a day where you get to pretend you're the one who's holding the power and they are accountable to you they are mm. not they are not it allows you to feel powerful for a day but the next day you got to go back to your crap job they have the money and you don't and that's not going to change that it allows you to feel like you're being accountable it allows you to pretend like there's a moral underpinning to society that holds the whole thing together but that is not the case. We still live in an unequal society. You are still powerless, and it's not going to help to cancel people. Ashley, it's been great talking to you. Really, really interesting. I think you know so much of this goes beyond the headlines of what we've seen and what we know, and frankly, what we don't know. And I think what we don't know is is you know been crucial in all of this. Just a quick final thought. This is going to run for a bit, isn't it? I mean, the 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 the, the the moment is going to be when Hugh Edwards finally speaks because people are saying, oh, his wife issued a statement, but there was no denial. I mean, this is just going to, the circus is going to fire up again, isn't it? I suppose so, but never underestimate the uh, fickleness of the media. When a story is old, it's, it's <laughs> old. That's it. Anyway, the, people always ask me about this. I've been commenting on the news for, I don't know how long, like 10 years, you know, I've been a commentator. And people yeah. are like, well, this is going to be a big deal. It's going to mark. I'm like, no, you're going to forget about this by next week. Mark my words. But as long as they, you know, you're right, though, if, if there's some kind of like uh, novelty to the story, like he speaks or something like that, yeah, it'll come mm. in. But I don't think it's going to uh, make the headlines for too much longer. Okay, we'll see. Do you think there's some sympathy out there for him? I mean, I've heard sympathy from uh, colleagues, past and present colleagues of his. And it's mm. been interesting because usually, and, uh, uh, look, definitely in my own experience, people distance themselves from you pretty damn quickly. And mm. that doesn't seem to be happening. I'm wondering what your view is of the the sort of public sympathy for Hugh Edwards. I haven't seen a great deal. Um, <laughs> hmm. um, and I don't necessarily think he needs any sympathy. Hmm. I mean, I just don't think that he needs to be made an example of. I think part of what annoyed me was this idea that it took too long like oh he was allowed to work for you know six seven weeks before anything mm. happened and it's like well every time somebody makes an allegation you want to like fire them or suspend them or something like that well he wasn't you know, he the, wasn't told was he and and from what yeah. i've read the the director general of the bbc wasn't told either so yeah know. but you have to think like when you're in the public eye probably tons and tons of stuff comes in all the time and mm. you can't be bringing like you i think you would seriously have issues going on air if you were always told everything that was Every coming in yeah i mean through, like through. look at look at social media man like you read the if you read the comments you're gonna I lose try your not mind. to to be honest yeah, but yeah. you know you, you should you can't do that um but it, this, but there was this the same thing happened with caroline flack i'm not sure if you're familiar with that oh yes of course story. yeah the yeah, uh, itv presenter yeah 
Yeah, and uh, like as soon as she, there was there were allegations, um, people, there was a hashtag that was sack the flack, you know, mm. that uh, she should be made an example of. And mm. oh, you know, you would do it if it was a man, right? So everybody knew, like nobody was like, oh no, Caroline Flack hit her partner. What, what are my hands doing? Oh my God, yeah. I'm beating someone. <laughs> like obviously you're capable of controlling yourself, right? Everybody knew. That this was not something that was a real thing. That if you saw someone on television, you would feel compelled to like, like engage in domestic violence. But it was to make an example of her to to score one against women who they felt didn't get enough cancellations. You know, let's equal this out. Let's share out the pain. This is the kind of society we live in. We want an equality of and, pain. <laughs> and look, and, and look what look what happened look to what her. Happened she, she took to her, her own life. You know, it absolutely no. destroyed her. Um, and you know, before the trial wasn't even started yet, and she lost all of her her gigs. And uh, yeah. and she felt like that was the end for her. And she had always suffered with her uh, for, uh, with uh, mental health issues, and her work mm. had been something that had helped her. Well, that was all gone. Um, mm. But it and it was the same kind of thing, right? Like. Uh, she needs to be made an example of. And uh, the corporations, they all followed that, right? Because they only care about their bottom line and their reputation. Everybody's pretending they re they really believe in these values and no one does. Hmm. Ashley, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> thank you. Read, watch and listen online at thebalance.website. And that full interview, a video version of it, in fact, is available now in the Watch This section at the Balance.website. We've got an interviews page there, and it's also up on our YouTube channel. I really like the way that Ashley just reminded us to take that step back, to think about what has actually happened and what we actually know, rather than what the wall-to-wall -wall coverage might be telling us, and remembering that there are agendas which can exist on all sides. So please... Share that interview on your social media. Let us know what you think. You can uh, pop a comment on YouTube. You can get in touch through the comments section on the website, or you can email me directly. The address is Kamal at thebalance.website. And if you'd like to support us as well, we would love that. We've teamed up with buymeacoffee.com, where you can do just that. The link, again, is on the website. I'm Kamal Santamaria. Ka kite anō. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Rebalance is a production of the Balance.website and is brought to you by Acast. For more, visit shows.acast.com slash rebalance. Thank you.